On today's show, the Celtics beat the Hawks in advance, and now that the Bucks have been eliminated, is the path cleared for the Celtics to make it back to the NBA Finals? Plus, are the Warriors or Lakers more likely to advance on Friday night? And we look ahead to Suns Nuggets, a.k.a. the unofficial Western Conference Finals. All coming up on today's show. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, welcome to Locked On NBA. I'm Wes Goldberg here with Adam Mares. However, you might be listening on YouTube Odyssey or your favorite podcast app. Thanks so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Uh, we're going to get to all of the good stuff happening Friday night and this weekend. Warriors, Grizzlies. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Warriors, Kings, Lakers, Grizzlies. A big matchup between the Suns and the Nuggets this weekend. But let's start with the Celtics beating the Hawks. They're going to move on to the next round to play the 76ers. But this series, I think, was closer than a lot of people uh, expected. Uh, yeah. It was going to be Adam. The Hawks kept this one close even tonight. Uh, they had a three-point lead with six minutes to go. But then Boston went on an 11-0 run, kind of just broke it open, and won the game from there. Um, but with the Bucks being eliminated earlier this week, this is sort of just all set up now for the Boston Celtics. Uh, and so given that the Bucks are out, but that the Celtics kind of, they, 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 it was a little uphill sometimes with the Hawks in this series. Where again, I think a lot of people were like, "Yeah, maybe four or five games, it should be pretty easy. Not a lot, not as much friction as we saw." Are you, where are are you more or less confident now in the Celtics coming out of the East than you were maybe going into these playoffs? It's hard because your point about the the Bucks is is accurate. You know, I expected the Bucks to be their biggest challenge, and now the Bucks are gone. But I got to say, I was very unimpressed with the Celtics team in this first round series against the Hawks. I mean, this was a game that I thought the Hawks blew as much, if not more, than the Celtics won. I thought, to your point, six minutes to go in the game, it just felt like they had the, some momentum and some key turnovers and just some key poor possessions from Atlanta opened up the game and they weren't able to close it. But this was a game where all the way up until the final six minutes, I kept thinking, are we really going to game seven? Are we really going right. to game seven in this series that nobody saw? Al Horford, to me, looks like he, who had some clutch buckets, by the way, two clutch threes in the fourth quarter. He, he was as big as anyone on the Celtics side in closing this thing. But he, I still think he looks a little bit slow, a step slow, you know, showed his age in this series. I think Missoula was slow to make some, some key adjustments in the series. And I just look at the Celtics and I go, they're not... I don't think they're the juggernaut or, or the the like top seeded favorite that I thought a week ago. Talking about Missoula, it feels like he's struggling to find out who his best like seven or eight are. Yeah, still, um, you know, we got Grant Williams back into the rotation tonight. You know, he was kind of shuffling minutes between Blake Griffin even in the last game and um, at the end of the game in this one too, just sort of kind of uh, shuffling in uh, Brogdon and Smart and Derek White and. I, it kind of still feels like Missoula is just trying to figure out who it is that he trusts at the end of these games. Um, and you look at the guys that they have, and you even look at the box score, and you're like, why was this game that close? And, yeah, the Hawks shot pretty well, but then you watch this game, and it's like, why are they getting so many open looks? Isn't Boston supposed to be the long, switchy, rangy team? And all you have to really worry about on Atlanta is a couple of guys, you know? Like, it's either Trey Young and DeJounte Murray or Trey Young and Bogey, or, you know, it's like a, a combination of two of those three, and, I don't know. They just they got destroyed. They they there was a lot of moments where it felt like Clint Capella was the best big man on the floor, and that was supposed to be another strength for the Celtics. And 
That I don't part. know, man. It was it was a weird series, and and I thought that this was a really bad matchup for the Hawks, and I thought the Celtics were going to sweep them. I picked them to sweep, and they just there was a lot more friction than I think a lot of people anticipated in this one. And I don't, I don't, maybe it's the coaching. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that they over. I don't know if they overlooked the Hawks. It felt like right. Tatum and Brown could be better in this series, and they just they weren't. You know, like they weren't bullying Trey Young as much as I thought. I don't know. It just felt like they were sleepwalking a little bit in this one. And your point about looking for lineups and who are your top guys, Grant Williams and Robert Williams, trying to figure out where to deploy those guys and how against the Hawks is a little concerning because some of the stuff that the Hawks do, I mean, Trey Young is obviously a very unique player and a very hot or cold player. And I think he got hot in the back half of the series and got confident. I mean, one of the things yeah. is you always look at a team and say, you know, the Hawks, are they intimidated by the Celtics? I anticipated that they would be. But they played the last three games of the series like they were better than the Celtics. And that's always a concerning thing when an undermanned team, you know, doesn't fear you. And that's what yeah. I saw in this one. But your point about looking for lineups, that's a thing you didn't expect from the Celtics. That was one of the things I think with the Celtics this year, you thought, okay, well, at least they know who they are. They know who their guys are. And the fact that they were reaching this much, maybe it was just that Trey Young matchup. And once he got going, you know, he, they, the team had to adjust to him. But I look at it and I go, James Harden can run spread pick and roll. You know, Joel Embiid changes the dynamic. Obviously, we'll see what kind of health he has. But that's not exactly an easy team for you to match up with either. And I don't know. The Celtics, I think, are still the favorites, especially when you look at – I like what I saw from the Heat in round one, but I, I still don't don't think I can give them, like, favorite status. And then, of course, the Knicks and underdog as well. So I still think they're the favorite, but they're not the overwhelming favorite by any means that I expected. I think this is – I've been thinking a lot about this, and I wonder if, you know – a lot of the conversation around the NBA and just sort of in, in general was the parody of the league this year. Right. And the, the stat that sort of made the rounds was the, 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 the best plus minus the best point differential in the league was like a plus six or plus seven, whatever it is, which is historically really low for a plus right. for the best differential in the NBA. And I do wonder if that parody sort of has a, a trickle down effect to where it's not normal. Like, we just saw an eight beat a one, right? And the Heat were kind of more like a seven, but they blew the plane. Whatever. We just saw <laughs> either way. Either way, <laughs> they exactly. Weren't, they weren't higher than a six, though. I mean. <laughs> right. That's right. They still had to make the. They had to get out of the playing tournament anyway. Um, and then we just saw the like, look, the Hawks still lost in six games, right? Um, so it's not exactly like they pushed the Celtics to seven, but they gave them more trouble than I think a lot of people thought. And so I, I is that part of just sort of the parody of the league? Is that these? It's a little bit closer than a normal one and an eight and a two and a seven would be, at least I guess in the Eastern Conference. I don't, I don't really know, but like I, the Celtics are just so much more talented in terms of whether or not let's let's spin it forward. I'm ready to talk about the 76ers series because even that Celtics Hawks series was not all, all that interesting to me. Well, I do um, want to say one more thing, and that yeah. is when you get a team that has either new pieces or a new coach. You know, that's usually not a recipe for a deep playoff run. Usually, a team has to figure out who they are, but I do think it can lead to you know, an upset game or two here or there. And I and I think it, with Atlanta, you had a little bit of that. Yep. This is a team that has a little bit of a different identity. I mean, they still ran spread. There's a lot of ball. pieces, a lot of guys that have played a lot of NBA games on that roster. That's a tough position for Missoula to be in and be like, hey, you're not playing right now. Like, there's almost a too many guys syndrome thing happening there. Um, you almost wonder if, like, they didn't have so many guys, it would just be easier to sort of roll with your clear top seven. But that team is like nine deep. It's kind of hard to figure out. And, and then in the playoffs, it's a whole different animal because you have to kind of adjust your rotation to the matchup. And you look at what the 76ers are going to be uh, presenting in the next round. And the Joel Embiid thing is real, man. Like, I don't really care that the Celtics have had the Sixers number over the last few years. Like, 
that doesn't matter to me. This, the, the, both of these teams are so different than they've been in the past. Um, well, well, part of this is defense, though, Wes, because <laughs> a lot of the top defenses are out already, and Boston mm. was not that. They had been that under Ime Aduka, but yeah. you look at them this year, and they were not an impressive defensive team, and you think, okay, well, all the pieces are there, so what are they going to be in the playoffs? Middle of the road, eighth-ranked defense coming in, unimpressive on the defensive And everybody's side. saying that they can just do the Brooklyn Nets thing where they double uh, Joel Embiid and all that stuff. They don't have a defender as good as Nick Claxton. They don't have a big man as good as Nick Claxton. Like Robert Williams, I haven't seen it this year from him, man. I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, Warford, his Warford, I mean, starting to show defensively. Grant Williams, they have like guys by committee, and I do think that's important when you go up against a, a player like Embiid. Is you need to give them different looks. You need to confuse feel like they them. need to put three or four of those committee members on on Joel Embiid, where <laughs> Brooklyn only needed like a couple of them, though. You know, like I, I don't know if they can run that thing. same system. And the people in Philly are going to hate me for saying this, but I thought they were unimpressive in their series too. Yes, it was a sweep. They were. I agree. But it was not an impressive. I mean, as, as much as – We talked about this last week. It was the most unimpressive sweep of all time. Yeah. So I just look at it and I go, you know what? I think the NBA, when we get to round two, I know we still have a couple round one games lingering, but when we get to round two, I honestly think the spread between the best odds and the worst odds will probably be the lowest we've ever seen of eight teams remaining by round two. Um. Uh, Heat Knicks is basically a pick 'em. I think the Knicks are uh, like a minus 158. Like it's 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 basically a pick 'em at this point. Uh, it, it's crazy. But I um, but I would never have picked the Heat to come out of the East. And no. now you just look at who's left left, and I go, why not? They're not. I again, I'm not picking them. But it's right. not. It's less inconceivable to me that they would make it out of the East from now yeah. than it is that they would have made it. You know, beaten the the Bucks even going into yeah. that series. I'll say this in terms of the question that I kind of presented to start the the segment, uh, whether or not I'm like more or less confident than the Celtics now than I was to start the playoffs and kind of get into this thing. The fact that the the Bucks are out of it, I'm more confident in the Celtics. We see this a lot. You know, I know like this game just happened. We're recording like 10 minutes after the final buzzer. Um, sometimes the team needs to go through a little something early in the playoffs and then That's just sort of pick point. up steam from there. So the fact that Milwaukee's out of it, I'm still way more confident in Boston. Because I had, I mean, I had Milwaukee coming out of the East. They lost in the first round. So the fact that the guy that the team that I picked to come out is no longer there, of course I would be more more confident in the Celtics. But it's I will, there for a man, like if they don't get out of the East this year, that's a failure. Not I to will ask Giannis the, the same yeah. question that they asked Giannis, but that's a failure. One of the things that's interesting about uh, the playoffs, though, this year so far is that coming into it, he kept thinking defense. That's the thing that's going to show up in the playoffs. Let's look at what teams are defending. Cleveland, number one defense. They're out. Memphis, number three defense against the ropes. Bucks, number four. They're out. Bulls, number five, didn't make it out of the play-in. Same with the Pelicans at number six. You got Phoenix at seven. Philadelphia at eight. They're still there. Miami at nine. Timberwolves at 10. They're out. Lakers at 12. They're out. Turns out all the better defensive teams minus two are out of the playoffs already. It's really wild. Defense does not win championships, I guess, anymore. Apparently. It's a new NBA, man. Um, all right. We're going to talk about um, the, the the big series coming up tonight. Warriors versus the Kings. Lakers versus the Grizzlies. Both really exciting, really entertaining series. Which team between the Warriors and the Lakers, which team that's up 3-2 has a better chance of closing out their series and advance on Friday night? That's coming up next. But first, today's episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you by the Nissan's most electric player of the week. It's brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. Adam, you know where I'm going with this one, man. It's got to be Jimmy Buckets. Jimmy oh, Butler, Jim VP, Jimmy Butler. 38 points a game on 60% shooting in yeah, that series. So 
It's pretty good. It was I pretty good. Too. I noticed. I noticed him. He stood. You out. know, other adjectives. I'll just throw them out there as opposed to pretty good, brilliantly fierce, stunningly mm. powerful, elegantly <laughs> powerful. Just, just yeah. some words <laughs> that might describe one Jimmy Butler. I would say. Wait. We do this every week, and it's sometimes it doesn't fit, you know, when we're like, I don't know if Sabonis is elegant or whatever. Jimmy Butler, <laughs> all of these words apply. He especially is especially the dreadlocks. Right. Especially he still had the dreadlocks. I would be. It would definitely be stunningly and uh, fierce or elegant or whatever. Uh, yeah, all those words could also be used to describe the Nissan Aria, the 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin to your seat power and premium intelligence, all in one electric vehicle the all-new all-electric 2023 nissan aria the ev for people who love to drive shop now at nissanusa.com today's episode of locked on nba is also brought to you by better help um getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process especially because we're always growing and changing therapy is all about depending on deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want, or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who could take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. It's If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today to get 10% off on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash LockedOnNBA. Thank you for making Locked On NBA your first listen every day. Big night of hoops tonight. Warriors play the, uh, the Kings in San Francisco with a chance to advance. The Lakers host the Grizzlies with a chance to advance. Let's start with the Warriors after winning on Wednesday in Sacramento. Uh, De'Aaron Fox's injury uh, to his finger. Do you, do you think this thing is over, Adam? I mean, yes, just because the next game is on the road in uh, in Golden State, and that's just a really tough place to get a win, let alone, you know, this is a closeout game. Warriors very good at closeout games. Uh, Clay Thompson very good in game sixes. So I would say, yes, this is a tough one, and they're just in a tight spot, and I feel kind of rough for them because they started the series off well. I think they were a worthy challenger. Um, but obviously things have just broken the wrong direction. I thought the Kings would have won the series if De'Aaron Fox didn't break the tip of his finger or whatever happened there. Um, I know he had a good game uh, on Wednesday night in that game in that game five or whatever, but um, it wasn't the same De'Aaron Fox. And and you got you know you got good performance. I don't I really don't mean to take anything away from the Warriors, but I just thought that the Kings were better, and I thought they had other. I, and I, I just didn't think that they had an option for De'Aaron Fox. That said. I think what we've seen so far in the series is the Warriors just have so many more options. I mean, the fact that Draymond Green can score, what was it, 21, 21 points in, in that game six, or I'm sorry, in that game five. Um, the fact that he could just do that, where the, the Warriors obviously don't usually depend on something like that. And then you've got Kavon Looney just standing up DeMontis Sabonis. This has not been a good Sabonis series. Um, and then you obviously got the Steph stuff, the Clay stuff. Wiggins is making open shots. They just have so many. And then, and then they have like that other starting lineup that they can get to bringing Draymond off the bench and, and starting Jordan Poole. And Jordan Poole has been much better as a starter than he's been coming off the bench. And I don't know if the Kings really have those other options. Like maybe there's an argument to start Malik Monk over like Murray or something like that. But I don't, I don't really know what the other option is for Sacramento. And when push comes to shove, Golden State's defense steps up when Sacramento's yeah. doesn't. 
And and that's really yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's all there is to this thing. There's also this thing where Sacramento, if you this if this was reverse six seed and three seed, I do think there's something to hey, what we were against the Warriors, defending champs. What do we have here? But the fact that it's the other way, that they went up two games to zero, and now yeah. you essentially have a first-time playoff team going on into their first elimination game. I just don't know that this is going to be one of those, hey, what do we have to lose kind of games? Just go out there, swing it, and see what happens. I think it'll be more tight. The Warriors have been in this position a million times. The Kings never before. and that, yeah. I just have a hard time seeing them winning in Golden what State. What happened to that loosey-goosiness that they had in those first two games in Sacramento? It just it just went away after one loss, after one haymaker from the Warriors? That's it? That's all it took? I mean, look, first of all, I, <laughs> time out, time out. They took a lot of haymakers in games one and two. This wasn't like they skated to easy wins. Those were impressive, clutch, you know, take your punches and keep rolling wins in games one and two. Game three was what it was. Got away from I think that was their best chance. Game four, the Draymond return. And then game five, you know, you're dealing with your star player with an injured finger and and they just come up just a tiny little bit short. But I'll also say this. Andrew Wiggins came up big in game, uh, game five. Andrew Wiggins is a huge part of this team. He missed two months of the year. I think the version of the Warriors by game four was just different than the one in game one. And unfortunately, I think the, the Warriors we see in game six is the best one yet. And they look like a team that's kind of getting their footing. And by the way, lastly, in the playoffs, you need seven or eight guys. I think they have it. I think yeah. Gary Payton's, the emergence of him, obviously getting him back and what he's done. To me, I just have so much confidence in him as another piece uh, to the puzzle that they have over there. What's going on? What's the difference between the water systems in Portland and in San Francisco? Because Gary Payton, he, he's a champ, a key cog in the championship last year for the Warriors, goes to Portland, can't stay healthy, goes back to the Warriors, kind of in and out, but now he's healthy all of a sudden for the playoffs. I don't like what a, I'm not going to call it a break for them because that feels like unfair to the front office and to Gary Payton, but you're right. Like him, him being healthy and emerging as a legit uh, rotation piece again for them, the way that he was last year is huge. But here's, huge. Yeah, but here's the thing, man. During the the Tim Duncan reign, you know, 15 years, whatever it was that they were winning 50 games every single year, you kept saying this about the Spurs. How did they get this guy? How did this guy emerge? And I really do think there's something, too, when your culture from the top down yes. is so great, meaning in this case Steph Curry, when you have a Steph Curry-type superstar at the core, you're going to get the most out of players. And I just think that that's what we're seeing. Gary Payton, to me, is the best example of that. He was great in Golden State. First of all, he wasn't an NBA player. Yeah, he's then out of the he, league. He was a G leaguer. Then he was great and pl- closing in a championship in an NBA yeah. Finals. Wasn't as great over there, and he comes back, and he's taken another step forward as a defensive player, hustler, and just gives yep. him so much heart and toughness. I want to go back to something you said before. The Warriors now are not the same Warriors that they were in game one for a lot of different reasons. Gary Payton emerging, Andrew Wiggins kind of getting his legs under him and all those things and kind of figuring out some stuff. Draymond Green coming off the bench. I don't know that that's going to be a thing in the next series if the, if the Warriors do indeed make it through. But um, that's scary for the Western Conference, man. That's scary. Um, this is the defending champs, you know. This is why nobody ever doubted them in the first place despite the up and down regular season that they had. Uh, let's go to Lakers Grizzlies. Lakers got blown out in Memphis on Wednesday. Uh, what do they got to do tonight to beat the Grizz? <laughs> we, I have a lot of confidence in the Warriors and and just what they are. I have no confidence in these two teams. I mean, neither one. Another. Of them. <laughs> I, I mean, this is one where I look. It's not out of the question that the Grizzlies get back into this. They have been so unimpressive in the series. Sure. But, but to me, 
the Lakers have been so inconsistent and their top guys have been so inconsistent in their effort, not just game to game, but sometimes quarter by quarter. I think that the Lakers can take take advantage of this. They need to continued good play from Reeves and Hachimura. I mean, it starts there. I don't think you can have those guys missing shots and win as yep. good as LeBron and Anthony Davis are. So those guys at home just need to kind of do their job to, to an average expectation. But for me, this is where LeBron, he has had these pockets of brilliance in the series. I am so curious how much he has in the tank because the old LeBron would come home, home fans, home crowd, and he would make sure that he dominates this game. 40 points, triple-double, yep. whatever it is, he would do the thing Close that you're like, yeah, there was no nothing else mattered. He put this one away. I'm a little skeptical that he has that in him for 48 minutes. I think he more has like, get it to the fourth quarter and I'm bringing us home. But I don't know. This is the first real he's, test for LeBron. Close it out. This is the most deferential I've ever seen LeBron in a playoff series. I mean, he's just like Austin Reeves, Anthony Davis, run your pick and roll. Fourth quarter, I don't care. Final four minutes, go for it. Just keep doing right. it. And at some point, you're like, oh, this is kind of cool. The first few games, it's because it's working. And then you're right. Like, they start they start uh, missing shots in the last game. And, you know, I think the Lakers win the last game if they're making, like, a normal amount of shots. They just missed a bunch of open shots. But still, uh, it's the most – it's like LeBron's, like, cruising – at 65 miles an hour in a 70, you know, and usually, like you said, you see LeBron just like pedal to the metal. I'm going 90 cops. So you better catch me. It's up to you. And it's just like, I haven't really seen it. So maybe you're right. Maybe he comes back. But also part of me is like, does he just think that the Lakers have enough to beat the Grizzlies? And he's still sort of in regular season mode because he knows he can't just do this for three straight series or four straight series or whatever it's going to be. Um, case I think that's a smart strategy. First of all, I think that'd be a smart strategy the problem is they lost the last game, which again, yeah. I, if you don't have it game after game after game, why not see if your team has your back that one? Okay, they don't, but that's but what now I do it at home. Now you're, you're home. coming home. Do it. To me, this you is – I don't You can't let this go to seven in Memphis. Yeah. I mean, they could win in seven just because I don't have that much appreciation for Memphis either and what they've been giving you right now. These are two teams that yeah. have looked unimpressive so far through the series. But to me, this is where I'm so curious to see if LeBron has it in him to close out a series. And I don't want to say single-handedly – but at least to carry the lion's share. Yeah, he's got to go get it. I will say this about the Grizzlies. There's, uh, you know, playoff series, you make adjustments. And sometimes you 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 walk into a playoff series thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do. John Morant, that's our guy. Jaron Jackson, that's our guy. We're going to have him space the floor. Morant, nobody can stay in front of him, whatever. Um, the Lakers put Jared Vanderbilt on Morant. He's doing okay. He's not doing great. He's doing all right, though. Um, but I think as the series goes on, sometimes you find, like, new soft spots and new kind of uh, uh, levers to, to pull. And it feels like they've started to pull on the Desmond Bain lever a little bit. 36 points two games ago, 33 in the game before that. Austin Reeves cannot guard Desmond Bain. It is not happening. Desmond Bain, buffest shooter of all time, is just plowing through Austin Reeves like nothing, man. Just like tissue paper. And and I do wonder what the other option is here. Because if you got Vanderbilt on Morant, you got LeBron on Jaron Jackson, and uh, Anthony Davis on Xavier Tillman and, and, and things like that, you don't want Reeves being... I mean, maybe you can hide Reeves on Tillman and, and start, start moving uh, LeBron over to Desmond Bain or something like that. But Reeves and D'Angelo Russell just don't have that sauce on defense. And um, it's been an issue, and I think it's one the Grizzlies have taken advantage of. So I'm interested to see what happens, the game within the game sort of thing with that matchup. Um, I love it. I do right. think more Desmond Bain is good for Memphis. Uh, there's a lot of Desmond Bain to go around. Not as much as uh, David Roddy, but there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of Desmond Bain. <laughs> I got it. Uh, okay. Coming up, Nuggets Suns this weekend. Is this the unofficial Western Conference Finals, and who has the edge? But first, today's episode of Locked On NBA is brought to you 
by eBay Motors. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits just right. The first time around, just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part's going to fit or you get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home and win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. Let's talk Nuggets Suns, number one seed uh, with the two-time MVP versus the number four seed with Kevin Durant. That number four seed, the Phoenix Suns, is considered... Uh, by many as the favorites in the West, but the Suns struggled a little bit with the Clippers. Adam, what are you looking for uh, in terms of the key to this series? I think this is going to be a really good series, in part because I think offensive series are more entertaining, and I think this is an example of two teams that can't guard each other. In fact, Classic West Coast Conference guy. Little West Coast Conference up and down. Um, look, let's start. I think this is a very good series for Jamal Murray, who missed the last time these two teams played and, and, mm-hmm. and got swept. You're looking at that as saying he just came across a good defensive rim protector and Rudy Gobert in the paint. And then Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who was so impressive defensively on ball, that was a tough series and he still performed to a level of, uh, you know, to a high level. Now you're going up against an offensive backcourt of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. This is very favorable for him. You look at Nikola Jokic, who just went against, again, the two-time or three-time defensive player of the year and Rudy Gobert. Say what you will about him. He's very good at defending the paint, protecting the paint and made it hard on Jokic, who again overcame overcame that, had a good series. So I think both of those guys now have favorable matchups, at least more favorable than they did in the last round. You go to the other side, Kevin Durant, great matchup for him. Aaron Gordon will take a turn at him, maybe Jeff Green, but there's nobody like a Kawhi Leonard in the first round who was going to totally shut him down. And then the same goes for Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. KCP will take on one of them. The other guy is going to have more, more or less a normal, regular matchup. So to me... This is a positive matchup offensively for both teams and a horrible defensive matchup for both teams. <laughs> uh, it does sound like it's going to be high scoring. I'm glad you mentioned the matchups in the starting units because this it, the Suns and the Nuggets played their starters a ton in that first round, and both of them struggled with their bench. The Nuggets all season long, they've moved different parts in and out. Bruce Brown, Christian Brown, you know, adding Reggie Jackson, Thomas Bryant. All, they really haven't found answers off the bench. And for the Suns, they just everything got depleted in the Kevin Durant deal. Um, and they played all their starters like 44 minutes a game in that first round. So the star- like the bench is going to be interesting to me, like those small pockets of this series where it is sort of second unit versus second unit and can either one of them kind of chisel out some sort of advantage or just something that works. Um, but that's going to be so such a small part of this series because these starters play so many minutes because they have to. That uh, well, And these matchups and these cross matchups I think are going to be really interesting, the ones that you were just talking about. Here's one difference that I think favors Denver. You know, they're the both teams, as you mentioned, are very shallow, but I think Denver has more readily replaceable players, meaning I like their you, bench more than Phoenix's. Yeah, for sure. Well, more importantly, I think I like their blended lineups more. Yeah. I think when you look at the Suns, their top four guys, which include Aiton and Chris Paul, yeah, you replace them, it's with a significantly different piece. I think Denver can replace KCP with Bruce Brown, and it's like, okay, that's 
similar type player, maybe a lesser version, but similar sure. type. You've got Aaron Gordon and Jeff Green, same thing, a similar type, but lesser version, athletic, big power forward who can guard out on the perimeter. So to me, I think the blended lineups favor Denver, the bench lineups favor Denver. The question is going to be who do the starting lineups favor? Because Denver has had the best starting lineup in the NBA, the starting five. They've played a lot of minutes and they have a great chemistry. But of course, we're talking about Kevin Durant, uh, Booker, Chris Paul, a team that's only lost one game since they were assembled. So to me, I'm with you. And then the last piece, yes, a lot of minutes in the first round. Both teams get a little three-day break and, you know, to start this next series. But Chris Paul is 38 years old. Last year, we saw it. Jose Alvarado full court pressed him the entire first round. Yes, they lost that series, but Chris Paul had no legs left in the second round. I'm curious. Bruce Brown is watching that. Bruce Brown's watching that Jose Alvarado film, isn't he? Like he's got to be doing that. I think if I'm Denver, this this is the thing is Phoenix needs to buy rest for their guys early. They were pushed by the by the Clippers in the first round. 44 minutes. And look, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant said all the right things. I like playing. I'm not tired. This or that. Mileage adds up in the playoffs. And especially for 38-year-old Chris Paul, I look at that and I go, if they need 44 minutes a night out of him against Denver at altitude, I do think later in the series Denver can you know, have that advantage. Yeah, and the chemistry with Denver is miles in front of where Phoenix is, and I think that also favors the Nuggets, obviously. Um, Devin Booker is on a tear. Like I mentioned, yeah. Jimmy Butler uh, – like all the same numbers basically for Devin. He's unbelievable scoring the ball right now. Kevin Durant's just going to do Kevin Durant things. Chris Paul has been up and down, probably more downs than ups so far in the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, for, for Denver, I, I, Jamal Murray, I think is due for a big series. Michael Porter Jr. Just got done shooting. What was it? 42, 43% from three right. against the Timberwolves. Jokic is Jokic. You know, he's going to do his thing. I, this is going to be a big series for DeAndre Ayton. Mm. This is, if the Suns are going to move on, DeAndre Ayton's going to have a big thing to say about it because you mentioned that series that the Suns obviously won uh, a few years ago. And look, both of these teams played two games after the, the Kevin Durant deal. Jokic did not play in those two games. Throw them out. Those right, games right. do not matter. Just right, th- right. They don't matter. The most relevant film on this series, weirdly, even though both teams are so much different, is sort of the 2020. And that's, you know, it's a low bar that we're talking about, but it is the most relevant film on this. Are you saying two years ago? Yeah, the 2021 playoffs. It's like, I don't know that there's better film to work off of. Well, I I do. And here's why. And here's what's so interesting. Well, you're right that there's not better film, but here's why. It's not relevant. That's that, that's what my my whole point is. It's not relevant. But two years ago, here's what's interesting about Denver. Two years ago, we all saw it. Denver could not guard them. You know, the pick and roll was an absolute killer. But the Suns with Mikael Bridges, the length of Cameron Johnson, but Jay Crowder also playing. And then, of course, Denver being so limited on offense. I mean, they were starting Faku Composo. No, Jamal Murray. I think you said that. Denver being as limited as they were. um, But with all that length, they had the defense to slow Denver down. And Denver still scored okay, but they didn't score anywhere close to what they needed to. Right. You swap out Kevin Durant. Well, they were already scoring on Denver. So did they get better offensively, specifically against Denver? I'm not so sure. But I am very confident that they got worse at guarding Denver. They lost they their did, and But the common denominator, and that's why I'm saying this falls on Aiton, right? Is because the one thing that they yeah. did do in that series was they 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 went one-on-one, Aiton versus Jokic for the most part. Um, and they just, for, and like you said, they had a long defenders and they sort of zoned up against Denver's kind of limited ball handlers because there was no Jamal Murray and things like that. And uh, and it worked and it worked really well. But if they're going to try to replicate any bit of that, it's going to start with DeAndre Ayton in the middle doing his homework on Nikola Jokic. And man, I did not like what I saw from Ayton in that first round against the Clippers. Like it looked like he was going through morning walkthroughs as opposed to playing in a playoff game sometimes, 
like the way that Plumley was just run, running right by him. And he needs to pick it up, man. Like I know that I know that he wants to sort of be the fourth star and he wants to get those shots and he wants to kind of get to those jumpers and all that kind of stuff. He needs to just be a center. He needs to just be a center and play the other center toe to toe. Like that's yeah. gotta be his job. And I I'm really just I look, I'm not close to Phoenix, but like the, the reporting out of Phoenix over the last couple of years with him and Monty Williams hasn't been awesome. Like, does he does he embrace that mindset? That to me is like a big question in this because again, it, it's gonna be a big series from him, I think, if Phoenix moves on. I think the Nuggets are gonna target him. I don't think yeah. that he can guard Jokic one on one when you spread the court. And I expect that to, you know, I don't know how long De- uh, Phoenix is gonna say, hey, let's see, let's throw him out there and see. I just don't expect that to be the game plan. But even if it is. The thing Denver didn't have, Jokic is not just a one-on-one player. Jokic is not a guy that you say, give him the ball in the elbow or the post, and then everybody just play off him. He also likes to play pick and roll. And you have Jamal Murray, an elite pick and roll player who loves to pull up, you know, off of pick and roll and drain jumpers. And as a big, you have to step out on him. And here to me is the biggest battleground. The Suns are not a good defensive rebounding team. Jokic is an elite offensive rebounder and you get that pick and roll. Aiden has to both guard Jokic and guard Murray in the pick and roll without giving up offensive rebounds to Jokic. And And then when the shot goes up, box out. It's it's a lot. It's, but you know what? If you want to be the star, that's what you do, right? You want to be the number one pick center. That's what I'm saying. It's going to come. It's going to have that. He's going to have the best series of his career. If Phoenix is going to come out of this, I think you and I are saying the same thing. Do I trust Aiden to do this? No, but but I'm watching intently, but it's not even just Aiden is my point is, if you can draw a big out onto the perimeter, it says he has to step out on pick and roll and show on the screen so the guy, the guard, the ball handler doesn't have an easy bucket. That means you have to gang rebound with everybody else. Are we, yeah. Who are we counting on there? Tory Craig, yeah, a good offensive rebounder, not That's a good defensive rebounder. Yeah, Kevin Durant. I'm sorry. I look at that and I go, Aaron Gordon is a big and strong power forward. Kevin Durant's going to have his hands full on the glass, just regular boxing him out. But if you start talking about scramble situations, that's tough. And then, Bruce of course, Brown's Michael Porter those, Jr., yeah. Bruce Brown, Michael Porter Jr., very good rebounders for their position. And I think Denver's going to have to sell out on the offensive glass. But the key is the Suns can't get easy buckets. When you c- crash the offensive boards, you're vulnerable in transition. Whoever wins that scale, is it Denver crashing the boards, but they're rewarded with second chance points? Or is it Suns who are taking advantage of an out of position Denver and getting on the break and knocking down threes? To me, that'll be a large part of how this series unfolds. I like this. I like the Nuggets uh, slightly more depth. Like you said, the mixed lineups is a really good point. Um, I like their chemistry. I like that they just know how to play. And uh, I like I like the Nuggets coming into this uh, into the playoffs. I have no reason not to. And I feel a little bit more shaky about the Phoenix Suns. And again, I'll do the same thing that I said about the Boston Celtics. Maybe you just got to go through something a little bit in the first round to just sort of figure it out, go through a little bit of adversity, get pushed up against the wall just to kind of box, your, uh, to, to kind of punch your way out of it. But um, based on what I saw in that first round, I like the Nuggets in this series. And it kind of sounds like you're saying the same thing. I think it's going to be a great series. It could it go either way. Um This to me is. You have Kevin Durant also. Yeah. You have Kevin Durant. You have Devin Booker, who, like, as you yeah. said, is on tear. Chris Paul is an X factor in this one. Does he make that shot? Aaron Gordon's an X factor. Does he punish and draw fouls on, on Kevin Durant uh, in the, in the paint to me though, this is a huge series for the Denver Nuggets. They've been waiting for the series for three years because Jamal Murray missed the last two. This is basically a third, a three year thing. And to me, if Denver is the team, they believe they are, they have to win this one. I don't think you can lose this series and say, Hey, we were close against a good team at some point. And Denver was robbed of this the last two years since they didn't have their squad. So at some point you have to say, is this the right formula or are we way off? And to me, this is the line. 
Are you hyped? You I'm very, I'm very I'm, excited. I'm hyped. I'm very excited. I always tell people tell me like, hey, you know, so you think Denver's going to win? I'm obviously I'm covering the Nuggets. I've been covering them for eight years. Right. You know, do you think Denver's going to win? And I say I don't know. I mean, I think they have a 55, 45, or 53, 47, whatever you want to say. I have a slight edge to Denver. But more than anything, I think we all walk out of this series with a better sense of what the Nuggets are and are capable of. And I hope that's a positive outcome. What's the line on this? Who the, who's the favorite? The Suns are the favorite, the betting favorite, and it's very, very close. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, thanks for making Locked on NBA your first listen every day. Every day is make sure that you're subscribed to the show on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be back on Monday with the biggest stories from the NBA weekend. Adam, enjoy first uh, the game one of your uh, your big matchup here. Can't wait for it.